Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. In this episode, I have a great conversation with Tony Ennerson. Now let's get right to it. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I have Tony Ennerson here from Duck Labs. Tony, thanks for joining me. Hi, Al. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Cool. Um, so as I start with all my shows, I'd like to hear who Tony is. How did you get to where you are today? Oh, okay. Well, that story begins um, in the Misericordia Hospital in Edmonton. Uh, <laughs> Maybe skip ahead a few years. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, okay. So um, actually, I was raised in uh, Sherwood Park, Sherwood Park, Alberta, just outside of, of Edmonton. And so f- uh, for me, growing up kind of in a bedroom community was very, I guess, generic in a lot of ways. Now, my household, though, was interesting because my dad worked for uh, AGT, Alberta government telephones, which would later become TELUS. And uh, he was in a situation where like he started with TELUS the day he graduated university and he went until he retired from that same company. Like, and you don't hear that story anymore. But the other thing is it actually makes me a second generation programmer, which is a little bit rare Mm -hmm. because my dad started as a master's degree in computing science. He talks about the computer at the university. And so uh, I grew up, there's hardware in the house all the time. Uh, Commodore 64 and, you know, and Amiga, love those oh, Commodore products. Yeah. Lots of technology uh, around the house uh, to this day. Um, that, that living room, I mean, that household actually still runs today. I mean, I moved out, of course, out of university and stuff. But uh, yeah, dozens of remote controls on that, uh, on that table for sure. There's been, never been any fear of technology uh, growing up. And uh, growing up for me there, uh, the thing that really marked it for me was the dogs, believe it or not. So uh, my mom bred St. Bernard's. Oh, cool. St. Bernard dogs. So we would have somewhere between, you know, two to three adults. Uh, And those are big dogs. Uh, And then when she would breed them, we would suddenly have like six to eight puppies at a time. And uh, for me growing up, that was an absolute blast. I had this really unique place that was like all dripping with technology and huge St. Bernard puppies and drool. Oh, drool everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely everywhere. Um, Anyway, I went to U of A, University of Alberta, right there. Uh, Took the computer engineering program there. And so that was a core of a computer science degree, core of electrical engineering degree. And after that... Uh, went into industry. So my first industry job was actually here in Calgary uh, for a company called Balmet Automation doing process control. 
So doing actually SCADA, which is supervisory control and data acquisition, wide area control for things like pipelines. They did oil pipelines, so uh, controlling pump stations uh, across Canada from one room, the control room. They also did water, uh, water distribution systems. Well, City of Calgary actually used to run one of their systems, which was interesting. And uh, gas distribution systems or gas gathering systems, so pulling gas out of the ground and all of the pump stations running them um, and controlling them. So that's where I got my start in industry was actually using that engineering degree, doing, I would say, harder core uh, programming because these were all custom, custom, well, it was custom software that had been, they had this baseline version of their software that we would then customize for each and every client that came through. Right. And so that got me into software development in a big way, right? I mean, I started it as a kid, um, surrounded by St. Bernard's and Commodore 64s, but then ultimately uh, made a career of it. And yeah, and then from there, it, the, the story follows different uh, business opportunities. And, but in all cases, being primarily a technical resource. So primary, my primary focus has always been building things. And um, really, I trace that all the way back to um, the Lego sets that I used to play with as a kid. I had plenty of Lego. Uh, my, my peers or my sisters, I have twin sisters. They're eight years older than me, functionally only child. I spent a lot of time with the dogs <laughs> and building things by myself. Uh, so uh, that gives you lots of time to explore uh, how things fit together. And, you know, build good mental models. And That's awesome. That kind of stuff, so. when, uh, when I was looking through your profile on LinkedIn, I noticed that you had uh, quite a bit of, of a diverse experience in, in technology and development. And there's some, I think I saw some AI and machine learning in there. And you're currently an entrepreneur. You are one of the co-founders of Duck Labs. I'd love to hear kind of a little bit of that story. Like, how did you end up? In what well, what is Duck, Duck Labs for those who don't know? But also, how did you get into that situation? Oh, sure. So, coming out of, um, well, coming out of university. Interestingly enough, coming out of university, uh, working at at Talbot, my getting into entrepreneurship actually happened right kind of there. Oh. So my my first job, I was kind of a widget in the software development machine and right. And this was a medium, this was, you know, like had a couple hundred people in it. Like this was verging on medium sized and this was back in the nineties. So software development technologies were, you know, we were trying to use an ISO 9,000 and one standard and all this kind of stuff. And this was before agile processes really took off and became the way things get done. So, um, I got into entrepreneurship primarily because I didn't fit. I didn't fit particularly well in the corporate world. Specifically, I uh, would always run against the boundaries of really of influence and of being able to build stuff the way I kind of wanted to build it. Um, I, you know, very good at at picking up a large complex system and taking it apart and then building it together. And so for me, how I kind of dealt with that. Because, I mean, a lot of people in that environment just want to sit in the one spot, learn the one piece of thing that they're trying to work on and just affect it. I dealt with this by spreading out. 
So by learning many, many different parts of this system, and the system was pretty big. And eventually I, I, I kind of feel like I conquered it. Like I knew all of, I could walk into any part of it and be confident. Right. And so, um, I stopped fitting the role of, you know, what is a intermediate developer? What is a senior developer? What is, um, and the, they had started a, a division called the, uh, I don't know, Bauman Information Systems Integration Division or something, Fizzy. And that's actually where I first met Joe. Joe is the partner, you know, one of the people we started Duck Labs. Joe and I and uh, Kim, his, his partner, we started Duck Labs. I first met Joe there, and that is where entrepreneurship kind of started. I uh, kind of broke from the R&D group there because I started engineering, went to R&D. And then since then, I've been a serial entrepreneur uh, in terms of being wanting to get involved in projects at the start, because that's really where I found my technical superpower kind of is, getting, getting things off the ground by making quick and solid technical decisions to get things kind of started. And I've always gravitated towards that. And um, once I got hooked up with, well, Sean uh, was the person at the time, and uh, Joe we were able to find kind of a stream of those opportunities and continuing on. So for me, those opportunities take you all over the place. Uh, one minute you are helping someone with their, well, production control, of course, is where I started. So I had a lot of that, a lot of deep tech, deeper technology. Like I didn't start with web applications. I was actually building things that work with, um, you know, machines, machine interfacing and that kind of stuff. So that begins, that's one side, but then the web development world really opened up and, and I, of course you, you can't resist that. You eventually get pulled into it. Uh, though the server was always where I was the most comfortable until quite recently. And yeah. And so I would help people. I've got a lot of like my math. I always really enjoyed math. And so I was doing, for me, I'm a kind of a hobbyist when it comes to some of the, you know, technical things like neural networks. I was, you know, playing with, you know, I've got a book, neural networks in C uh, or C++ from like 2001 or something. Old school. Yeah. Old school. Exactly. Right. And who knew that that would eventually become, or those, those fundamental techniques would become, you know, branch of linear statistics, which would become machine learning today. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know that. That being said, I would help people build models that would do predictions for things, um, because a lot of times when you're working with startups, which would ultimately become Duck Labs and our our um, our our target, like who we like to work with the most, or are the startups, uh, you kind of have to do everything. And some people want that; they want some AI style models. Of course, none of them have enough data. But that's okay. You can get, you can, you can climb that hill. But you'll do pilots, is what you'll do, at like pilot projects. Give something a try to see how it fits, right? And Duck Lab started as a, as an attempt to keep a team together. Believe it or not. Oh. So we had a team. We were working uh, with entrepreneur in town, uh, Brian Reimer, and uh, Evan Hu. They had joined forces and they were creating this cool personality profiling thing based on research. Uh, they called it NELF. And Joe was helping them build the tech team around NELF. Uh, I came around and I was helping them too. And ultimately, when NELF did what startups do, 
which is some of them go to ground. We decided we want to keep the team together. And so we collected as many projects as we as individual consultants could and uh, hung the shingle of Duck Labs out there and started to try to keep the team together by finding enough work to keep ourselves warm. And actually, it's been four years. That's amazing. It's been almost actually five years. And now we've, I mean, we've, we've helped a lot of people get started. I mean, some of them are, you know, taking off and kicking butt. People like uh, Simend, um, people like Stellargo, where Joe spends most of his time right now. Some of them, you know, didn't do so well. <laughs> so, but either way, uh, you know, that's the risk you take. And honestly, uh, we keep getting calls. So, that means, oh, you know, we're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that um, a lot of the companies that are building software these days, they may specialize in a specific niche or they may be focused on like smartphone apps or what have you. And I, there's probably not, at least to my knowledge, there's not a lot of companies that are doing the really, really deep technical stuff. And that seems to be a good niche for you guys being coming from that background. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean... As the main, I guess, propeller head there, I get, I love it when we can dig up a project that has like lots of mixed technologies in play and uh, like, uh, well, the fab, fab tech or fab assistant, many, many things going on there. This is a technology that's um, assistive for help uh, people age, age in place. So have adaptive Controls actually, well, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about fab as a, as a topic, but John Brown has put together this amazing idea, this house that adapts to people who live in it. So if you are, as you get older and let's say you start losing a little bit of mobility, um, your house can adapt to that. So the counters come, you know, come lower if you need the counters to come lower and, and like supports are built into the house, but they're architecturally built into the house. Wow. They're not aftermarket add-ons, whatever. This house is built so that you can live in it, I guess, well below the, you know, the ability, the ability floor that a normal household would, would require to run. There's a lot of technology that goes into that. And so a project like that, where we've got TVs and we've got set-top boxes and we've got um, home automation stuff, all trying to talk together, the whole thing trying to be held together by or controlled through tablet interfaces and through panels and walls and stuff. That for me, that's a playground. I mean, I love that stuff all day long, every day, not a problem. These are the kinds of, those are the absolute best projects. More typically, it's, hey, we want to make skip the dishes, but for dog food. Right? <laughs> and so that is, um, those are also great. <laughs> those are a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of good learning that happens around that. And uh, so for me, uh, this is where the, I guess, you know, investing in the tech community. I mean, I see myself as kind of a steward of helping the next generation get launched. Oh, for sure. And um, for people who don't know, with uh, evolve with the evolve you program from thin air labs you uh, you actually are uh, more or less the head instructor for this cohort how have you enjoyed teaching all this great stuff inside your head <laughs> it's been a really interesting experience um so with evolve you uh the move was to change the way people experience the program from being 
taught by instructors who, you know, are actually versed in instructional design <laughs> to more of a trade approach to, hey, let's put a kind of a, a like, you know, a master craftsman in front of them and say, let's work these things together on projects. So the project-based learning approach, which uh, I, mean, I actually listened to your podcast with Jen. I mean, she summarized it perfectly. Um, that uh, And it gets a little messy because what you're doing is you're letting the projects pull the learning out of the people. And then uh, my role there has been to be, hey, I'm your senior developer, which means you're going to escalate your problems to me. You're going to escalate your issues to me. I'm going to show you how to do things, but I'm going to do this in a way that we interact as developers and the way I interact with my own developers, my own juniors, right? My own intermediates. And honestly, I mean, when I say juniors and intermediates, I learn as much from them as they learn from me. Uh, I'm sure they don't see it that way, but I certainly do. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we work together as a team and form a team and go. Now, as an instructor, I was not ready for that. I was not actually, I mean, I tried anything twice, but I went in and I'm like, I do the techniques that I use when I'm pair programming with someone translate to pair programming with 50 people? The answer is about 30%. About 30% of that communication, like, because when you're working with a person, like if I'm working with like one of my developers, like Jonas, one of my developers, and he and I work looking at a piece of code, we're talking about it, right? And I'm sharing perspective on what I see. He's sharing the, you know, what he sees. And then between us, probably him, he's going to drive the keyboard and, you know, follow it through. I'm only getting to engage in half that dialogue uh, for the first, you know, two projects. So that was a little jarring. Yeah. And then the whole switch to remote was interesting too. Yeah. This third project that we were running with the cohort, what we're doing is we're actually immersing them in. Now let's do live projects together. You are now software development teams and you have, you know, your scrum leaders, you've got your product owners, you've got, you are now supported as though you were software developers. I'm finding this process way more organic i feel like the people who i'm working with are getting more out of me mm -hmm. than the class of 50 faces that being said the outcomes i'm seeing like yeah people are really stepping up and delivering stuff like we have an upcoming demo day i think it's gonna i think it's great it's almost been like a switch has flipped because they, they they've learned all this stuff all along but they never believed it until someone you know, held them to it and said, okay, well, this is what you're going to do. Go do that. And then the next day uh, in the scrum meeting, you're, you're basically saying, okay, show me what you did. And you can't hide from that. You can't, you can't hide in the corner and go, I don't know how to do it. Like you have to figure it out or you're letting your team down. And it was amazing to see at the beginning of project three, the, the people were, were still struggling and just not accomplishing anything. And then just bang, like a switch was flipped. All of a sudden they're like, okay, I figured that out and I got it done. And now I'm going to take this, this on and I'm going to do that. And it was really quite a lot of fun to see that engagement. Yeah, I agree. And um, I'd be doing the project-based learning approach. I guess the risk of that switch doesn't get flipped, right? <laughs> and people, but it's, no, we, we prime them with, I think we prime them with enough information. And most importantly, I think the most important thing that got modeled for them was the it's okay to try and it's okay to you don't have to know everything before you start and in fact if you know everything before you start you probably started too late you need to try some stuff and you need to learn some stuff and you need to learn how to i guess contain that 
so that failure, it's not that failure is, is not an option. I mean, failure, of course, is an option. Failure is where you learn. Mm-hmm. But you just may have to work in a way that, that it's safe. That it's safe to, it's safe to deliver even the unintended things. Right. Right. No, that's, that's really wise. And I think we talk a lot in the program about imposter syndrome and there's lots of articles on the internet about imposter syndrome and everybody experiences imposter syndrome unless they're lying to themselves, of course. (laughs) Exactly. I am the expert. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The opposite of imposter syndrome is uh, what? Yeah. uh, No one wants any of those people (laughs) around anyway. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, I feel it. I feel, I mean, I'm, I'm not an instructor, right? Uh, Then I realize, wait, but I actually know a lot about this stuff. I've been doing this for a long time. So then when they ask a question, I can say, well, this is what I do. And these are the advantages of that approach. And, but more importantly, flip the question back. Well, based on what you see, what would you try first? Right. And then start to build the, I guess, the curiosity. For me, the, the ability to really contribute to tech has always come from curiosity. Everything, you can start with this opening assumption that everything is possible. You just have to figure out how. And then you let curiosity take over and help you figure out how. And some roads are harder than others. And, you know, then that's where the processes kick in. And, you know, if it's too expensive, you don't go to that road, you go down a different road. Maybe you uh, try something different. Maybe you abandon that idea altogether. Nice. Based on your background, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. You strike me as the right person to give Tony Anderson's predictions on where technology is going to go in the next five years. <laughs> sure. Okay. So my broken crystal ball. Okay. So first of all, I should tell you, I have, I have performed poorly on this question in the past. I looked at, for example, when JavaScript development was starting to take off and I thought, and I was like, I was waiting for the internet to die. Right. I was like, okay. These JavaScript tools are so bad. They're so bad. An entire generation of programmers is going to go get lost in JavaScript and they're going to reinvent a bunch of wheels that got invented in the 70s. And they're going to make all the same mistakes that we made in the 80s. And they're just going to, they then it's just going to be a smoldering pile. Right. And, you know, no, they, 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 this JavaScript development thing is it's coming through. It's actually getting better. So now my prediction. So five years, five years actually isn't that long. Okay. Make it 10. <laughs> so let's, uh, I see in five years time, we, the internet, uh, we've got, we've got the beginnings of this IOT thing. Uh, we've got machine learning coming along and it's been, this is about the third time I've seen this come around. Um, that, you know, the connection is kind of approach, mm-hmm. but this time I think it has more legs. And so I think this machine learning everywhere is definitely, it's going to survive the hype phase right now. It's kind of getting its butt kicked. It's the hype is fading and people are realizing, oh, you can't just make a model without a ton of data. But I think. We're going to come out with some decent um, machine learning kind of stuff going on. I think we are due for um, we're due for another reset of the browser. So I'm thinking, I bet there's going to be a new browser that comes on the scene in the next five years. It's going to shake things up. And I think 
I think certain, hmm, geez, my future predictions for, for web development. I think the sun, the sun in about five years time, the sun is going to be very brightly on react, but I think it's going to start to, this is going to be a sunset event. That's kind of on the horizon for react. I think that whatever's new hasn't, I think Google's tried. I don't think Flutter's going to make it. I don't. I don't think many of these things that are right now trying to vie for that are going to make it. I think it's going to be something new, and I think it's going to come from a new. I think it's going to come from a new browser or a new engine. I think server-side technologies. I, I think software platform as a service. It's been chipping away, and I think it's actually going to take over. Yeah, I think platform as a service is one hundred percent going to take over. Well, if you look at history, we went from putting all the brains on the client. Mm-hmm. to putting all the brains on the server and leaving the client stupid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're bringing stuff back over to the client and then back over to the server and then back over to the client. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it's really, really interesting how it keeps flipping back and forth. That pendulum keeps swinging. Mm-hmm. And I think, so we are actually due to return to the server. Mm-hmm. And this next return to the server, I think is going to happen in platform as a service kind of stuff. So I think you're going to see these concepts of lambdas and, you know, microservices were, they were a little early. And I think we're going to come back to those microservice concepts, but we're going to be sitting more medium grain in the next five years. And we're going to see these services really work for us, which means ultimately developer productivity is going to increase. I think we're going to be able to build things like the kinds of things that we built today that take months to build are going to take kind of weeks to build yeah. in the future. I'd have to agree with that. You know, there's, yeah. there's so much um, in, in the things that we want to do today, the questions we want computers to solve, they're so complex, you know, with machine learning and everything else that we require supercomputer grade systems that, that can do that. And so you can't, you can't get a smartwatch or, or a smartphone to do the kind of power that needs to be done to do the kind of questions we need answered. So I think you're 100% right on that. And uh, it's a different paradigm for programmers. You know, we, we've got this, went from procedural coding to object-oriented coding to now we're actually thinking about serverless architectures where, you're, where there's a server uh, thing out there that's performing a specific function and you're just linking and tying things together to get the result of the, uh, the application or whatever that you're looking for. Yeah, 100%. So like serverless um, kind of approaches, I think are going to, they're really going to be having their day in about, in about five years time. It's going to be, it might even become hard to put a server out there. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. And the kinds of problems we're solving now are, are different uh, as you kind of climb up the stack and the layers. I mean, there's always, yeah, like you look at, for example, Amazon Web Services and you see when they started, there was like three, three, four, seven things it would do. Like I could go run. A virtual machine in the cloud, EC2. Now, when I click the little services box on my Amazon, mm-hmm. I swear I see a hundred things that I can do. When, actually, when I saw robot automation <laughs> as a service, I almost fell over. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, who no buys kidding. that? Nowadays, I guess you go out and buy a robot and but, you just plug it into the cloud and let uh, Amazon take care of it for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this, I mean, as an industrial guy, I've always been interested in the, like the IOT, um, uh, approaches. So like I want my enter my house on the internet mm-hmm. and up to now, ho- you know, hobbyists can do that and go and by hooking themselves up the right way with the right hosting services and all this other stuff. I mean, you have to be kind of into it. Mm-hmm. You have to be kind of a propeller head yeah. to hook it up, but you can get it so that you can control your thermostat from your phone when you're not home. Right. I feel like platforms like that are just going to be getting more and more sophisticated, getting more and more interesting. Um, in the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually surprised Apple has been able to hold on as it is in a world that, uh, cause there's so much innovation occurring and they, they, they try to hold on to it all in their, in their own platform that, uh, they managed to stay ahead of it. And it's actually super impressive yeah, to me. I agree. I think they, they've been successful enough and they have enough money that anything that they without having to reinvent the wheel, they can purchase a company and then absorb them and then bring them in. But, mm-hmm. um, but you're right. It's really fascinating how they, they went from creating things like iPhones or smartphones in general that nobody even knew we needed to now having it to be something you have to have in your pocket. And, you know, you see kids now that are nine years old or whatever, they have their own iPhone 12 that they're taking to school. It's just a different, like, the world just keeps moving. You know, you have to, you have to keep up or you're going to fall off. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Hey, um, I've realized that, uh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's the next generation. It's not that it makes you obsolete. It's that it makes you irrelevant. <laughs> they literally change mm-hmm. the rules. And, uh, so, and, and that's, that's actually an interesting thing now that I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, my career as a, as a career technology guy who has survived the transitions, um, but continued to stay in technology, you need to be in a place where you will go back to, I know nothing and I will reinvent myself with this new technology. I will understand this from zero and, and go again. The willingness to do that 100% keeps you relevant. Absolutely. It's one of those fields where it's lifelong learning. Uh, you mm-hmm. just have to keep growing and being curious like you had identified at the beginning of this uh show curiosity is the the biggest deal that's that's what keeps you growing and 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 striving to learn new things and become a better fit for for living in this world that we're in and yeah couldn't have said it better Mm -hmm. awesome well tony uh it was such a pleasure having you on the show tony and i for the listeners tony and i work together quite a bit during the weekdays at evolve you and uh, he's such a fascinating person. So I, I really, uh, really honored that you spared your busy schedule and, and time with me. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Oh, no problem, Al. It's been a lot of fun. Um, speaking of imposter syndrome, uh, yeah, I was first surprised when you asked me because I'm not sure I'm a <laughs> leader with big ideas or any of this stuff. But no, <laughs> no, the truth is it's, it's what you've done here and uh, with the Rainforest ecosystem and stuff. I'm just, I, I'm so impressed. I love it. Thank you so much for including me. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everybody, tune in next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a host of the show, it's a lot of fun. If you're interested in being a guest of the show, Tony just said it's a lot of fun. So you can reach out to me at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. 
Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.